Season 3, Episode 18, This is Black History Moments, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of those who have been forgotten or who are lesser known in our history books and texts. Happy Black History Month. We're almost done, but I hope that you all have been enjoying it thus far. If you're new here, I'm Shakira White, an HBCU graduate and a lover of all things Black and historical. Now, I'm sure at some point in time, you've heard of Little Richard, you've heard of Johnny Cash, maybe Chuck Berry, and also Bob Dylan. All of those people were great musicians of their time, great in their own right, and they all have earned their place in music. But there is one thing, or should I say person, all of those people have in common, and that is Sister Rosetta Tharp. She was a pioneering woman who is now referred to as the godmother of rock and roll. And this is her story. Rosetta Newman was born March 20th, 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, to her parents, Katie Bell Newman and Willie Atkins. Now her mother, Katie, she was an evangelist and she was also a singer in the Church of God in Christ. And by four years old, Rosetta had picked up a guitar, an electric guitar, and she started playing. And just two years later, by the age of six, she had gotten good enough that her mother would bring Rosetta along with her as she traveled with the church. Her mother, Katie, would travel to different church conventions and also gospel concerts through the South. And since Rosetta was considered at this point, a musical prodigy by six years old, she would often be featured at those events singing and playing the guitar. In the mid-1920s, Katie and Rosetta settled in Chicago after years of traveling the South with their evangelical group. One thing we'll get into later is how Rosetta blended music styles together, which gave her a signature sound. She mixed gospel music, Delta Blues, New Orleans Jazz. And while I was thinking about it, um, I think she was able to do that because of all of the traveling at such a young age, the traveling and performing she did in her youth because she was able to hear and be influenced by all of these different sounds in different cities and states. And she was young enough to mix it all together without the separation that kind of adulthood forces you into. So I think it was the best thing for her. Now back to Katie and Rosetta in Chicago. Um, they set up roots there. Nothing has really changed. Her mother, Katie, she is still ministering to people, usually on the street and sometimes in churches. And Rosetta, she was still performing with her guitar. By the time she turned 19, Rosetta met a traveling preacher by the name of Thomas Stark. And this is where she becomes Rosetta Tharp. However, their marriage did not last long at all because just four years later in 1938, she and her mother hit the road and headed east to New York City, the big city. Although Chicago is also a big city, no offense. So it was in New York that Rosetta recorded her first records, one of them being Rock Me. And it was a hit, instantly, it was a hit. Her talents landed her a spot at a place that we talk about a lot on this podcast. There's hardly an episode that we don't reference it, and that is the Cotton Club. 
Um, I'm sure I don't have to familiarize you with it too much, but just in case. The Cotton Club, it was an iconic nightclub in Harlem where anybody who was anybody um, frequented. I'm talking about Louis Armstrong, Ethel Waters, Lena Horne, Cap Calloway. Those are just a few performers who graced the stage of the Cotton Club. And we won't even get into the people that just used to come for entertainment. We know those folks. So for Rosetta to have solidified a place at the Cotton Club, this was huge. And she's only 23 at this time. So she could also be performing at Carnegie Hall, which was another historical place in history. And people were captivated by her because for many people at this time, it was their first time seeing a woman, let alone a black woman, play an electric guitar. Rosetta was still recording her gospel tracks, but she also ventured into recording quote unquote secular music as her popularity rose at this time. According to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, Tharp's popularity was so great that she was one of two black gospel acts. Um, the other act was the Dixie Hummingbirds, but those two acts, they would record what were called V-Dis for U.S. troops overseas for them to listen to. So it was only her and the other group. Now, church folks were not having it. They felt like she needed to pick a side and she needed to stay on whichever side she picked. Um... Either she was going to be of the world or she was strictly going to make gospel music. Now, Rosetta started to be ostracized from the church because of this, even though now she was gospel music's very first crossover artist and also their first real hit maker. She released a song named Strange Things Happening Every Day, and this was the first gospel song to chart on Billboard's Harlem hit parade chart, which is now just their R&B chart. And that song is considered by some people to be the first rock and roll song ever. In 1941, she went on tour with Lucky Millinder's Orchestra and the Jordanaires. They were an all-white group. On tour, they would perform for mixed audiences. And of course, despite her popularity, um, and status, Rosetta was met with the reminder that no matter what you've accomplished, doesn't matter who you are, how popular you are, you are still Black in America and nothing can change that. On tour, the restaurants and hotels were still segregated. So while everyone would go inside and eat, she would go to a back door and pick up her food and she would either eat outside or she would eat on the bus. And when it came time to check into hotels, while everyone was sleeping and resting comfortably in their hotel rooms, in their beds, taking a nice shower, Rosetta would sleep on the tour bus. Now, by this time, Rosetta had been married twice, once to the minister that we mentioned earlier in Chicago, where she got her last name. And secondly, to a promoter named Fosh Allen. And they were also divorced later. But in the 1940s, Rosetta met a woman named Marie Knight. Remember this name. Marie was performing with Mahalia Jackson when Rosetta saw her for the very first time. She tracked her down. Rosetta, meaning, you know, she, Rosetta, tracked her down. And they began touring with their own band. And they were not only partners in music. 
but the two were also two queer black women in a relationship in the 1940s touring the United States. Now, we can talk about radical. Together, they took control of their business decisions, also radical, and recorded music before parting ways in 1950. One year later, on July 3rd, 1951, Rosetta married Russell Morrison. She moves quickly. He was her manager at this time, and the ceremony took place in Washington, D.C. at their Griffith Stadium. This was a baseball stadium. Now here, over 25,000 people paid, not just came, paid to witness the marriage, and there was also a concert recorded while there, and they later released that as an album. I mean, I think that's a pretty strategic business move, but I digress. As I was reading up on this, I was thinking, you know, it, it's giving on-the-run tour tease, right? Like, to me, to me, this reminds me of something that would happen today. So getting married in a public setting, selling tickets to the wedding, also recording music while you're there. So you make money on top of money. You know, she really was ahead of her time. Not long after this was Rosetta's popularity starting to take a hit. So at this time, it's the 1950s and young white men began using her sound and her style to create their own music. Enter Bob Dylan, who called Rosetta, quote, a powerful force of nature, a guitar-playing, singing evangelist. Also enter Johnny Cash, who remembered going to one of Rosetta's concerts with his cab driver at the time and weeping openly because he was so moved by her after the concert was over. He even acknowledged her influence that she had on him um, when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The proof is in the pudding. And it wasn't just them. We'll come back a little bit later to get into some more people. As her popularity in the United States dwindled, Rosetta made her way overseas, where she began touring in Europe in 1957. It was here that she had her most infamous show. It was held at an abandoned railroad station, and she was brought in on a horse-drawn carriage she had on this fur coat, it was raining, and she's like playing her guitar. It's like giving purple rain. And in the 1960s, her popularity decreased even more with the rise of male and white rock singers and musicians who appealed more to mainstream culture. Also, her devotion to recording religious material, that also helped bring her popularity down and it pushed her to the fringes of the musical movements that she helped inspire, end quote. Rosetta died in 1973 in Philadelphia after inspiring many, many artists that would come after her. Some of those artists being Little Richard, who considered her one of his favorite singers, Chuck Berry, Aretha Franklin, Al Green, Tina Turner, and the list literally goes on. When people would ask her about her music, she would say, oh, these kids in rock and roll, this is just sped up rhythm and blues. I've been doing that forever. At the time of her death, Rosetta was living with her mother, and when she was being prepared for burial, Marie Knight, her former partner, she was there to do her makeup and her hair to get her ready for burial. 
And when compared to male guitarists of her day, she would proclaim, quote, can't no man play like me. I play better than a man. And that she did. That is the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp. I hope that you share this episode with someone and I hope that you learn something. And I also hope that you remember that you too are Black History. And I'll see you guys next week. Oh, yes, how it rains. I said it rains, children.